Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Hey everybody, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Today I'm joined by Pastor Lydia, co-founder of 180 Church, pastor of Transformation and wife to Dr. Sammy to discuss uh, the most recent installation of our New Life series and you know, so far we've covered uh, the wind of the spirit, how God is working, the role of the enemy when it comes to the full life that God wants to present to us. And I think today we're talking about something particular to the central narrative of the gospel, and that is salvation. And, you know, when it comes to Christianity, it's often thrown around like, you know, God came to save us or Jesus died on the cross to save us. But what does that even really mean? Like, how do we know uh what it means to really be saved what does it mean that jesus died on the cross for us and how do we assess what real salvation looks like and i think dr sammy illustrated this in such a great way and today we're diving into this discussion to really draw the picture of what it means to really be saved and what that might look like for your walk with christ so without further ado here's dr sammy scripture this week comes from john chapter 3 verses 1 to 21 Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of God. 
Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. So we're back. In describing what new life looks like, spiritual life, the idea of being born again. There, there is a lot of noise around Kanye, not the Yeezys, they've been making a lot of noise too, but, and Peeves, by the way, Pastor Billy, don't say dope. That's like so 2000s. That's like me trying to bring back fat from the 90s. It's not gonna work, it's dope. And I ask people in the back, do you guys still use that? Like, no. Tells us our leadership is getting older. But anyway, this, this, whole, this whole thing around Kanye uh, being born again. They, Kim Kardashian was on uh, the news recently, I think the Today Show, and they're just like, you know, what is this service that Kanye is starting about? And, and I was actually upset at Kanye because I just written an article it's for Christianity Today that's very important. And the last time I written something, it was like number two in the most read list. But Kanye, somehow people said he got saved, and he just stole my headline. I'm sorry, that's selfish of me. God is working on me, too. But talk about Kanye being born again, and now he's only going to do gospel music. And the, the, the person that told me about this is my son. He's like, Dad, he's doing gospel music only. And I was like, how many people, when you, how many people heard this? Raise your hand if you heard this. And you're just like, okay. What is he coming with now? And his next album is Jesus is King. But, but you know, my, my, I was skeptical. My son's like, Dad, you're the one that preached about new life. Three weeks ago, you said the wind blows wherever it pleases. You cannot tell where it's coming from. How do you know the wind is not blowing in Kanye's life? I said, you sit down. I'm the preacher, boy. I'm the doctor of the church. You sit down, okay? But he was right. I don't know if the wind is blowing in Kanye's life. Hopefully the wind helps him take his meds. So we get 2006 Kanye, but I mean, beside the point, what I'm saying is to, to describe the phenomenon at interest here in this text, the wind of the Spirit is always, the wind is always synonymous with the Spirit's work. And you're here because the wind is blowing in your life and working in you. What I'm trying to do in this text is help you describe what that work looks like so that you can identify with it and understand that God is working in you. Because no matter what you believe, no matter what you say you believe, nothing is more important than the real, genuine work of God in one's life. Amen? So let's put this picture up here. So for a father and, uh, father and sons, we, we go out to the beach sometimes looking. We, we're eating chicken nuggets and McDonald's here. It's a beautiful time together. I, think, I don't think we had enough chicken nuggets. We're fighting for it. But, um, you know, so my sons are there. And, you know, one of the things, the dynamics between fathers and sons is that the father's always what? Right? And the sons are always wrong. But what happens when the great reversal happens? When the, when the son is right and the father is wrong. Now, I don't know about you. You guys might be 
holier than me. But when I'm confronted by a 10-year-old about my, own, my faults or how I'm wrong, it rubs me the wrong way. So uh, one week when, when uh, my son was 10, he's 12 now, uh, we, he skipped school because it was take your son to you know, work, you know, work day, your, your father's work day, whatever, your parent. And so you know, one, of, one of the things I do mainly is write nationally, right, for CT as a, as a contributor. So I brought him to Starbucks, my workplace sometimes. And he brought his laptop. For those of you who don't know, he's trying to be a rapper. Um, he's actually pretty good. And I wouldn't say that. I'm a very critical person. Um, he's actually pretty good, and, and um, he's, he's trying to be a wrestler. So he was doing his work, and I was showing him what I do, you know, and I was like zoned in, writing everything, you know, and, and I was writing for a cultural piece, so I, I, I wrote about Taylor Swift and how she's like, you know, a nightmare dressed up in a daydream. <laughs> and, and then I wrote, in, in, a, in a spot, I wrote, uh, you know, the great cultural theologian Taylor Swift in her song, Blank Spaces, I wrote. And after I wrote it, I was really proud of what I, you know, the sentences. I'm like, see what dad does. Check this out. Check this out. And he's like, oh, dad, this is funny. And he's like, dad, this is so wrong. It's blank space. What's blank spaces? <laughs> it's not the, I was like, why did I bring him today? <laughs> Darn. You know, when you're confronted with truth, and this is not, this is not like physics where I'm like, oh, you know, who knows? <laughs> Or is, this is like, he, this is his expertise, right? Like this, he's, he's 10. He's been listening to Taylor Swift all day. And um, I, said, I said, what's the difference, man? Blank space is blank space. Well, same thing. It's like, uh, they're very different. And he goes, Dad, in my generation, cultural references matter. And when you're wrong, you lose credibility. They'd be like, well, what else is wrong with this article? Is that what I sound like when I rebuke you guys? This is scary. So next time I talk to you about something, I find if I'm like being a lot more merciful, because it was kind of hard. It's like, I was like, let me drink my coffee here. And I was like, you know, I had to, the, taking feedback, taking truth, taking responsibility for clearly something I messed up in, something even that small. Feedback from a 10-year-old was difficult. But feedback in general, quantitative studies, qualitative studies, professional studies, have already established. And no matter how someone gives you feedback, Harvard tried to do this for 30 years. OK, we just need to help people be softer in their tone and deliver it and land it nicely. And so they, they call that you know, positive, you know, constructive criticism. How many people ever got constructive criticism in your life? Raise your hand. Construct How many people like constructive criticism? I never did. Oh, you did this really well, but you sucked at the other thing. That's what I hear. Oh, I did this well, but I sucked at, I sucked at the, sucked at what? And so they, they tried, they did, they did studies. It didn't matter how you gave feedback, the way you deliver feedback. If it had to do with something that you could improve in, everyone got offended. Tell someone you're offended. That's right, you're offended. I'm doing an investigation on medical teams right now. I said, how do you deal with conflict? We don't. What do you mean you don't? Well, it's not like I could really say what I really feel. So how do you deal with it? We don't. We just bury it under. Oh my gosh, so you guys are like, 
you guys have tension, and you, well, there, there's no mechanism to deal with the conflict. Why? Because, I mean, think about it. doctors, they're the worst, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, they're the smartest people. Imagine you tell them they did something wrong, and then you have a personal issue. Then it becomes this whole big thing. So accepting fault about yourself, it's probably the most difficult thing that you have to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want salvation in this text, and what really Jesus saves you from, and what the gospel, the heart and the epicenter of the Spirit's work, it's this area of accepting your fault. Not euphemizing it, not moving away from it, not explaining it, not excusing it, but actually embracing it. And whether Jesus does that, whether a 10-year-old does that, whether a 30-year-old does that, whether your employer does that, accepting fault is difficult. And this is probably why a lot of people skim around religion and they become dogmatic in the way they think about faith and they never get personal transformation because to be rebuked or to accept faults about yourself feels bad. And a lot of people can't equate the Spirit's work to feeling bad. But the Holy Spirit makes it very clear. Jesus very clear to disciples from John 14 and 16 that the Spirit's job, Spirit's role, is to convict sin. The cross, in this passage, we're going to go into that, the cross won't make any sense apart from sin. So there's a very, very, very difference being saved from a situation to being saved from within. And what Jesus is talking about here in John 3, his conversation with Nicodemus, is about being saved from within. And without this piece, Christianity just becomes something you do, something you use. There really isn't a personal relationship with Jesus. You'll never understand why we get up and sit down and sing and talk and then pray. You'll never, that's what people don't understand about the Catholic Church or church in general. There's no other religion in the world where we get up and sit down and sing. And then we do it all over again every week. Why do you guys sit down and sing and come and sing again and then talk about Jesus, worship Jesus? Why do you, why do you keep doing this? And the only reason why you stand up, sit down, sing about this one man is because he saves you from something. There's no other religion where any founder is worshipped. We don't worship Buddha. We don't worship Gandhi. We don't worship religious figures. But Jesus, you worship. And so... Apart from the cross, resolving sin, and personally directing that to you, geez, this, this church thing will never make sense. Because it's gratitude. And if you sit and stand up and sing over and over again for 30 years, and there's no gratitude in your heart, and it becomes something dogmatic that you do just because you do it, it becomes even worse. You don't understand why you're doing it. You know why you don't understand why you're doing it? Because you don't really understand grace. Because you don't know what you're being saved from. So that we're going to discuss today. Let's go to this text. So this is the first thing I want to lay out. This is more teaching today than preaching. But um, if you want to understand John 3, you have to understand it through a kosher lens. That means you have to look, at, you have to look through this text through the lens of a Jewish understanding and perspective because it's a conversation. Everybody quotes John 3.16 as the gospel, 
But no one looks through the gospel through the lens of this conversation because this conversation is between two Jews, Jesus and Nicodemus, a chief ruling Pharisee, a leader, a scholar. So if you want to unpack the theological understanding of John 3.16, which is the gospel, for God so loved the world, he gave his only one son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, you can't understand verse 16 apart from verse 14 and 15. Because you won't understand the idea of what, what does it mean to perish? What did that even mean? And so Nicodemus, we read here. From, so let's try to read verse 14 and 15, and I want to explain through the Jewish lens. Okay, so let's look at 14. So just as Moses, what, lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Nicodemus was struggling, grappling with the idea of being born again. What does this work of the Spirit look like? What is God doing inside of me that's so difficult, as if the analogy is being born through this messy process? This maternity and paternity and impurity. Like, what, is this, what does it look like? Jesus says, well, let me try to draw contrast for you. So we go here. So what he's referring to is Numbers 21. And here's number 21. So you can get a better context. So when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in Navgev, heard that Israel was coming to the road of the Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then the Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They compl completely destroyed them, their towns, so the place was named Hormah. They traveled to Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go to Edom, but people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses and said, we have, You have brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. There is no bread, there is no water. We detest this miserable food. So how is there no bread and water if there's food? So they're complaining about everything. They're venting. Then the Lord sent venomous stakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Okay, so there's two stories to differentiate from, distinguish from. First is a story where they're being saved from a situation. The Canaanite kings. The Canaanites attacked them and what, took them to captivity, slavery. Slavery is very normal at this time of the century. So the first situation is God saves them from a situation. Sometimes a lot of people in the church who, go to, who, who, who tackle religion find religion or find, they say, Christ or Christianity because they're in trouble. Sometimes you bargain with God, like, if, if I pass this test or this bar or, or this MCAT or, you know, I'll give, you know, I'll go to church or I do this. And, and you ask God to save you from a situation. Or sometimes the situation is much worse from abuse from a toxic situation, from an environment. And, and that has nothing to do with you. You're just in a bad situation. You're in something called a misfortune. So you see Jesus here, he's splitting hairs with a scholar because he doesn't really understand what he's being saved from. He doesn't really understand what the work of the Spirit looks like. So he's saying being saved and being reborn is very different from being saved from a situation. And then he gives another analogy, right, about their complaint to God, right? 
First it was, God, please save us. Now it was like, you and God have no idea what you're doing. How many people ever felt like that? You're in a situation, you're like, God has no idea. Dr. You have, Dexter, you got no idea what you're doing. You never said it to me, but you felt it. Why are you laughing? That's true, right? I just caught you. No. no I, mean, I mean, so there's two different situations. One, you're being saved from a situation that has nothing to do with you. The second situation has everything to do with you and has to do with what? Your attitude. If you look, if you, if you go to a hospital or you look at the ambulance, there is a snake around a stick. That comes from this text. Because in this text, God tells Moses to lift a snake, wrap it around a, brown, a stick, and raise it up until there's a lights. If they repent and admit of their sin, then they will be healed and they'll live. So that analogy right there is very clear, right? Put this picture up here. This is what it looks like for me. This is my son. I don't know why I'm lifting my son up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell all stories about me being wrong. But maybe, maybe that's what it has to look like when I was praying through this. Someone confronting you with truth and that being difficult and you having to accept that. So I've told numerous stories. We're going to Puerto Rico. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a hero my, you know, to my son, and we went there. So he's a, what you call a Hamilton historian. Like, not officially, but pretty much. He's a Hamilton historian because he literally knows every single word. In fact, at the show, he goes, he messed up one line. And there were other people who were our friends, and they listened to it, and they're like, he did mess up? He goes, yeah, he messed up this line. So you know what I'm dealing with, right? This is what I live with every day. This is the pressure I live with every day. Being wrong, someone will catch it, especially your kids. And there are other faults. I mean, think about all the things they don't say. <laughs> so one time we're going to church, and I was like singing, singing along Hamilton. You know, I was like the Tyler sisters, and it's supposed to be Skyler sisters. And he was like, what'd you say? <laughs> Hamilton historian. I said, uh, Skyler sisters. No, you said Tyler sisters. It's a T, not S. <laughs> I was like, that's, this, <laughs> it's not important. What happens when a father can't accept, clearly when he's wrong, when a father can't accept blame or fault? The son will learn it. That's what usually what happens, right? Men, we learn how to deny, lie, excuse, euphemize. Change the subject, and we pass it to our kids. The gospel implications of us being able to accept faults, it's critically important. doesn't make it necessarily easier. But I have to say, again, you see how many times I'm wrong here by already? I told two stories where I'm wrong. I'm like, you're right. But why is that you're right? So difficult to say. How many people here admit, like admitting they're wrong? 
Raise your hand if you like admitting. I especially hate admitting I'm wrong to my wife. Because that's what she says to me. Just admit you're wrong. Then this situation, this, this conversation will, will be over. But I'm not, though. So what does salvation have to do with embracing one's own faults? Well, first lesson we learn is this. Read with me. Differentiating what? Salvation from what? Bad situations versus what? Salvation from within. Sometimes we use the malaise of misfortune or victimization, or bad things happening to us as our defense for why we don't have to take responsibility. But God is not addressing misfortune. He's addressing the areas in which where there are faults. So if you're being saved from a situation, of course you're, I mean, if I saved you from a situation and you were in a bind, you'd be thankful to me. And you're like, buy me a meal or something. You'd be loyal to me. And a lot of people that attend church, this is how they see salvation. God saved me from a bad situation. And this is one of the reasons why there's no personal transformation because they look at us, God is just saving me from a situation, but not saving me from myself. There's a big difference. It's splitting theological hairs, but that's where it is. Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus, is showing the difference between being saved from bad situations to be saved from my own faults. Just because you had terrible things happen to you does not mitigate your sins, no matter what the tragedies were. Because they're two different things. They're apples and oranges, but that's usually our defense. So that's the question I have for you today. Have we isolated in areas of your life where you hurt other people because you did wrong. We're talking about that. That's what the Bible calls sin. That's what Jesus is talking about, John 3, 16. He's saying, God so loved the world, he gave his only one son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But before the good news, there's the bad news, that I am a sinner, that I have hurt people, and there's no way to excuse it. And that's the part people have a hard time swallowing. That's the difficult part of birth. Is he saving you from a situation or is he saving you from within the attitude? God, you don't know what you're doing. No one knows what they're doing. I know. I, I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. That posture is being confronted here. Let's move down. So, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so, the parallel between Numbers 21 and 15 to 16, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Numbers 21 is just in the context of Israelites. John 3, 16 is the context of the whole world. And, and that's what Jesus is drawing con from contrast from, that parallel from, that all have fallen short. In the original manuscript in Greek, 
they've reorganized this. The verse right after verse 15 actually is verse 21. In verse 21, it says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And this is, this is what I'm trying to say. No one, you can excuse yourself and what you've done to other people. You can lie about it, but you can't lie to God. God knows, and you know. It's plain. The, the fact is, will you come into the light and be seen by the truth. So whatever you've done has been revealed, because you can admit that, because that's very difficult. Because here it is. Jesus said in the New Testament, when a woman was caught in adultery, he told the crowd that was about to stone her, which, which is an Old Testament law, right? What did he say? Those who, without what? Sin, cast the first stone. It was an eloquent and beautiful argument about why no one should judge her. And after all, everyone left. Jesus says, what? He goes, woman, has no one condemned you? No one, she said. And he said, neither why. When he could, he's without sin. This parallel of what happens in that story, it also happens on the cross, right? When we look at verse, verse 15, it says that, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. But it says that just like the Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, everyone could see him. People threw stones. They also spit at him and, hur and hurled insults. Why? Because they thought they were without sin. You see, Jesus, you never understand why Jesus is on the cross unless you understand your sin. You don't understand why he's hanging up there. There's no power. The cross becomes powerful when you realize you're a sinner. All sinners come to the cross. And they begin to have revelation about why he's dying. And it's for you and me. That changes everything. But let me, let me try to, this is a tragic story, and I, and, and I grappled if I should share it, but I, I felt like I should, to let you know that this is, not, this is not joking, this is not a game, this is real lives. There are families, there are marriages, and there are kids in the future. Right? We have new life all around us, actually, in our church. Right? We have one more coming soon, November. And sin, folks, affects everyone. Whether you like to hide it or not, whether you like to admit it or not, it's going to affect your life and the people you love the most, and it will cost them the most. I remember I was consulted at a case where a husband from another church, they somehow reached me and I met with them. They're having trouble in their marriage. You know, the husband began using AshleyMadison.com. You guys know what that is? You don't know what that is? Good. All right. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a website where they basically legalize having affairs. Everyone on the site are married. Did I get that right? Is that what it's called? Or did I get it wrong? All right. You guys are just good people, you know. But, but um, 
you know, um, he, he was in, in business, he, was, he continued to use these sites, and, you know, it was becoming problematic. You know, he wasn't a believer, and, you know, they, they, I consulted the case, I, I met with him, and he was like, you know, I don't want to lose my marriage. You know, and he got on his knees at the end in tears and came to Christ. But a few years later, it happened again, multitudes of times, and then they got divorced. It, It was a tragic case of lives that can never fully be mended, right? Like sin. And here's the thing about sin, folks. Sin is elusive sometimes and implicit and People will do anything to get out of trouble, right? For him, he wanted to what? Not lose the marriage. That was the consequences. And, and I want to really drive this home because no one can really see inside of you. Only you could. Right? I mean, I don't know if you're sorry or not. Because sorrow, there's sorrow over sin all the time. But why are you sorry is very important. Intentionality matters. The deliberate intentionality matters a lot of what you're thinking and feeling inside because it really will determine if there will be change and repentance or not. Because anyone will want to be safe from trouble. So this is the second thing. What does this look like? Well, second thing. So what, what, we, what do you have to do? Introspecting what? The sorrow in one's own heart for what? For the sin itself versus what? The, consequen- the consequences it brings. So h- here it is. By fruit, this man, he was sorry for being caught. For the consequences it brought to his life, the inconvenience that a divorce or a strain would bring in his life. So he what? He was sorry. And that sorrow led him to Christ. And that can happen. But because you're safe from the trouble and appears like you're changed, doesn't mean it changes you. When you're sorry, when you introspect, examine your own heart, and you're sorry, your sorrow is not for the consequences. You believe you deserve the consequences because you were wrong. And you're actually sorry for the sin. It's, it's a gift in itself. You know what it is? You want to change. You want to change. So if the cross just moves you because it gets you out of trouble, like, well, you know, I believe in Christ because I don't want to go to hell. Well, yeah, that's a good reason. But those who are drawn by the cross understand why he's lying there is because of our sin, my sin. That direct correlation changes everything about grace. The punishment that I deserve for my faults, the pain I cause others was cast upon him. And that changes everything about how we see Jesus, my relationship to Jesus, how I relate to Jesus. And that's why I sit down and stand up and sing. That's why I talk about him. That's why I can't stop. That's the reason why I sing. That's the reason why I preach. That's the reason why I do everything 
That's why two billion plus people do it. Because he deserves it. So you got to look at your own heart. A lot of times, true salvations, and here's the thing, there's no way we could really know if it's real or not unless you examine the fruit. The fruit of change in your own life. Belief, for me, I don't really believe that belief is the highest form of, 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 you know, of measuring values. Behavior, behavior is really what you believe. There's a hierarchy of, of, of belief because what you act out is what you actually believe, not what you say you believe, right? Because that's really your values. So if there's real fruit and change in your life, they'll show. They'll show in every day. They'll show in your life. So today, will you stand with me as we pray? You see, we're standing right now. Why do we have to stand? Because all of us, the Bible says, have fallen short the glory of God. Amen? So there's, there's no one in this room, including myself, that's sitting on a high horse. Hey, if God could save Kanye, he can save you too. There's no one crazy like Kanye. Well, maybe. Who knows? <clears throat> but if the Spirit is moving this way, and we don't know where, how the Spirit blows or when it blows. It's not our job to say, yeah, right. Right? It's not our job where grace comes, because we don't deserve it anyway. Does Kanye deserve it more than you? No, there's no merit. Grace is free. Right? We, we talked about Ephesians last week, that we're saved by grace. It's not by works. It's a gift from God, so no man can boast. That's why we come to church, folks, because sinners come to the cross, find redemption, find forgiveness, find healing. And there's no one too far. So you lift your hands with me and receive grace today. And if you're a greater sinner, raise your hands higher. Receive more grace. Danny, good. You're the greatest sinner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and Friends. I'm your host, Joe Lou, and today I'm here with Pastor Lydia, co-founder of 180 Church, pastor of Transformation, and also wife to Dr. Sammy. How are you doing, Pastor Lydia? I'm good. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, so, we're here, and we're here. Like, I think... Um, I have to say that I, I'm a big fan of like the series that we're on where we're talking about new life and uh, like the, how the Holy Spirit moves and just trying to really grasp the ways in which the Holy Spirit does work in our lives, you know. And I think um, it's it's common knowledge and it's like very uh, clear in the literature and in the Bible that the the crux of the gospel is that it saves us, right? Um, but I think often the reason why Dr. Sammy has is preaching about like what real salvation looks like is because maybe we tend to get confused about what that means, right? Like what does it mean to be saved and what does it mean to, and I think we are continuing the conversation about what it means to be born again. 
um, from the text. And um, it, it seems like being saved is a common theme in the Bible. And that's the entire reason why Jesus came. But, you know, I think it's very important for us to make a clear distinction about what God is really trying to save us from. Uh, and so I'm really glad to have you here to talk about this because I'm I'm just wondering, like, what is it that we're really being saved from? You know, because I think a lot of the times when I think of being saved, it seems like I'm being, you know, rescued from something, like something that is happening to me where I might be in distress or I might be, you know, dealing with something that's outside of my control. Um, but that's not necessarily the same kind of saving that God is trying to do, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Right, and as the message um, was very clear about, um, that it is not from situations mm-hmm. that Christ is saving us or becomes our savior, right? Um, but ourselves mm-hmm. from ourselves, yeah. right? And so, I guess that could be a little confusing um, because you know, for the most part. We'll, besides like the why do we need to be saved from ourselves or you know what is it that we're really being saved from i think it's kind of like okay like there must be something in us that god is trying to uh really reach us and like save us from right i think it's evident that there is sin in our lives or that there is this concept of sin but then it's not an every it's like not a normal occurrence to think that we need to be saved from sin. Um, and I guess, you know, being that we covered sin in the last podcast and, you know, we discussed a little bit about like what sin really does. Um, I like, why, why, like, why is God trying to save us from sin? You know, I think any one of us could on a bad day, um, can find out we need saving. Mm hmm. So I think, um, you know, just from our own thoughts, from our own tendencies, from our own, you know, just we call them weaknesses, you know, Mm -hmm. we call them all sorts of like, I don't know, insecurities. Like there's all this complex things that go um, between, you know, our minds and our hearts and mind and our hearts and our behavior. And without anyone really pointing it out, I think we, if, if we were really honest on a, on a bad day, mm. like just really to be explicit, I think we would know that we need saving mm. from ourselves. Right. Like this is something I cannot do on my own. Mm. I mean, we could do all sorts of things. Like I think there's always, you know, things we can do to better ourselves, to mm. make, improve ourselves, right. to feel better, you know, mm-hmm. self-care. But there's something innately wrong mm. that cannot be managed through um, modern medicine or modern practices or ancient practices. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's far beyond meditation. And ultimately... God is saving us from the depths of ourselves that we can't really reach down to fix. Mm. You know, Th- does yeah. that make sense? That makes sense. That does make sense. You know, and I think, I think we all, and I, I could totally be generalizing, but maybe a lot of us feel like there are things that we can work on and things that we can improve on in our lives. 
um that's not necessarily like such an easy thing to accept about ourselves right like i'm sometimes you know we're i'm a creature of comfort right like i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily like change and i'm very vocal about it i if there were certain things i needed to change about myself that you know maybe somebody like one of my friends wanted to talk to me about i'd be remiss to say that i I was like happily readily like ready to accept this feedback right and i think dr sammy touched a little bit on how like when we're confronted with certain truths about ourselves truths that we don't really like want to know about ourselves or like people see and maybe we're not aware of it's not the easiest thing to take in and think about and then really reflect so that we can change our behaviors or like change our hearts about certain things right because i think it's offensive right like mm-hmm. it, it we almost take it as offense like what do you mean you don't accept me for who i am or you know and i think we can all acknowledge that there's something that we can change in or you know pursue betterment in um but when we're confronted with it it seems like we don't really like it right mm-hmm. yeah i think in the very inner core there's like an entitlement for unconditional love no matter what i do mm. you know and it's not that we're not meant for love, but I think there is a deep entitlement. So when criticism comes, it's kind of like, how dare you say that to me? Mm, Don't right. you love me? I thought you loved me. Mm. Well, and it doesn't feel like love mm. at all. So we reject it. Yeah. Easily reject it, right? Right. Do you think like it's, we feel, yeah, I, you bring up entitlement. I think it's, do you think we, we should be like, we feel that we should get a pass? Like, like we should be allowed to be who we are and not change anything about ourselves or you know because i'm i think there's definitely resistance mm-hmm. when it comes to someone like like if it were for example it was like one of my family members like hey we need like i need you to do this where i want you to do this i'm not trying to be specific but like my right. mom was like i need to do better in my studies or you gotta get better grades um, that's asking me for a change that but I might not necessarily feel like I want to change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, my mom should love me because, you know, I am who I am. And so um, do, you, do you think there's just like kind of like a very strong barrier of overcoming this like friction, like this friction of wanting to be loved, but not wanting to change i don't i'm not i'm not really sure what dichotomy i'm trying to draw here but yeah i think you're bringing up that there's tension right Mm -hmm. and i mean i think it's very complex sometimes it is that sometimes it is not even that right Mm -hmm. we don't really know the depth of why it offends us so much i mean we could just say well it's because we're sinful and we'd rather um i don't know uh Mm self-preserve we could say that but it's not that clear when we're confronted with our faults mm-hmm. um so why it's very complex and i think we all feel it yeah when we're confronted um but i guess at the end of the day it's the fact that we're confronted and we don't like it or mm-hmm. that we would reject it yeah or that we would accept it mm-hmm. um yeah right. yeah and i'm sorry to be like so ginger about it i think because like you know the reality of sin just seems like such a such a 
it carries so much gravity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the real distinction is being drawn between, you know, being saved from our circumstances as opposed to really accepting that there is something inherently wrong with us, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's not such an easy thing for me to say either. And I think that's why I also bring up like, hey, shouldn't you love me unconditionally and like be accepted for who I am? Because I think it's it's a common narrative that we have that maybe some of us have that we are the way we are because of our environment. Like we became who we are and like we're subject to forces outside of our control Mm -hmm. that give us a certain attitude or give us a certain, um, you know, perspective on life or perspective about ourselves, about like how we should be treated because of these circumstances. But the gospel doesn't really, it, it addresses us that we, we are also saved from those kinds of circumstances also like the things outside of us and that's like one barrier of entry that i think god reaches us through but when it really comes to sin it's it's really about us and the personal reflection we have to undergo in order to understand who we are right like it, it goes to our human nature about our ownership yeah, yeah. Right? um and it's about taking responsibility mm-hmm. and responsibility is not such an easy thing to accept when it comes to our faults right mm-hmm. yeah um, no, it's hard yeah mm-hmm. and i guess like you know without skirting around the issue you know i just kind of also wanted to really talk about this very this very heart of the gospel and like like why we need to be safe from ourselves right and i think um it's because it, like that line could be blurred so easily between you know oh i go to church and i you know, worship God and Jesus because, you know, like I was saved from certain and, you know, Dr. Sammy says it's misfortune, like things that happen around us that we felt like God kind of pulled through and, you know, like grabbed us out of and rescued us from things. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to real change, real personal transformation, it's not necessarily that we are put into a different environment, but there's something that happens inside of us where, a real acknowledgement of sin and the real implications of the cross and the blood of Christ really plays a central role in who we're becoming. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. It's admitting that we're not an exception mm-hmm. to the rule. Um, we're not an exception because of our upbringing or um, the environment that nurtured us, mm-hmm. right. That we're innately by nature sinners. Mm-hmm in need of a savior Mm. yeah um so what does it mean and i i get i'm i'm i'll I'll just go right into it what does it mean to really understand the cross right because i think it, it was brought up in the sermon that you know to really understand salvation or why we do what we do on sundays and you know why we worship Christ is because there is that strong understanding that as believers and as people that accept that they're sinners, um, that there was something done on the cross that changed our lives. And it's it really is rooted in, you know, understanding that we're sinful by nature. And I guess it's like, um, what what is that what does that really look like for a believer or someone that um is i guess ex- is exploring what christianity is about 
Yeah, I think, you know, um, one way we could see that um, is, you know, when you confront someone, I don't know, how, how do I phrase this? Like, when you confront somebody wh- or when you're confronted with sin mm-hmm. and, you know, the defenses go up for everyone because it's very alarming, right? But... You know, oftentimes we'll hear, you know, um, defenses like, well, don't you know how much um, I've been coming to church? Mm. Um, Don't you know I've been praying more than I used to? And um, I guess I'm trying to draw a contrast, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you'll hear two different um, responses to that. Where it's like, don't you know I'm trying? Don't you know I'm trying to do this? Don't you know that I've been doing more than um, I never thought I could? Mm. Versus, you know what? You're right. I I did mess up. This mm. is an area where it is my fault. And like true ownership versus a lot of the blaming around, but really like owning up to you know what, this is kind of why I am the one who needs saving. Mm-hmm. Like no matter, and it, it, how do I say, and in reality, the person admitting might be doing way more or way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not defined by, well, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've been through? Versus, you know what, it's what Christ has done for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. This is why I'm being saved. Like, this is why God is working in my life. This mm-hmm. is why I need Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's like a major difference of fruit in the way that we approach or that people approach, right. depending on what the cross means yeah. to them, yeah. right? Right. That makes sense of it. I guess like what, does, like, what does it take for us to get there? You know, because I think when it comes to our faults and you know our shortcomings it's easy to draw up excuses or excuse behavior like oh like th- th- like for example if i'm not i feel like in in certain things where i've come up short i'll come up with a myriad of reasons in my head like okay it's because i'm doing this and i'm doing that um like i'm working a lot and i'm going to school there's there's reasons why i wasn't able to do the thing or like pull through or you know keep my promises and um or like you know like i would excuse certain behaviors like oh this is why i did the thing instead of my response being i see what you're saying and i understand that this is something i have to work on um i I guess like how do you close that gap between you know drawing up excuses for yourself and your behavior and your sin as opposed to really accepting that this is something that needs to to work and that it it takes more than just yourself to change that part about you. Yeah, I think what it takes is really acceptance or rejection of the cross. I think ultimately it goes back to the cross Mm -hmm. because right now we're not really talking, I mean, I'm not saying you and me, but like in general, we're not really talking about do you have everything under control? Like, are you doing what you should be doing? Right. But it's really about have you, ex- you know, have you accepted why you need a savior mm. 
versus have you rejected that you need a savior? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I liked how Sam talked about it's like literally like like splitting hair mm-hmm. because sometimes you don't know in the church who really has come to the cross and met Christ as savior. Mm-hmm. Right? Because actions and service and all sorts of goodness could be all around. Like people could be, you know, could look like greeters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, facilitators right. of ministries. Like, you know, sometimes even pastors. You know, I'm not talking about our church. I'm yeah. talking about capital, like the, the church, right? Yeah. You really don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, by fruit you shall see, right? Uh-huh. But... When you're really just generally looking at it, you really don't know. Mm. And so it is like splitting hair in that it's the very foundation of... And I I guess that's why I love that we're coming back to the cross. Yeah. Because we're talking about, well, guys, you know what? Our church, though it may benefit you and I in so many different ways to flourish, let's really talk about what it means to really flourish and mm-hmm. the beginning point of that. Yeah. And um, coming to the place where, do you know Jesus, who Jesus Christ really is? Yeah. And what God's gift to the world really was mm-hmm. and is yeah. and will be? Do you really understand that? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it could look pretty much the same from the outside, like generally looking at it, right? Even before we talk about like, how do you come to a place where you admit to sin better? I think that's even another, like, that's like a next chapter. Yeah, we're like jumping a step. Yeah. Well, I think because I think a lot of times it becomes about let's become better at owning up. Yeah. But even before we own up and work on becoming better at receiving um, not just criticism, but confrontation of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Even before that, like, who is Christ? Yeah. Like, have you come to terms with that? Yeah. Is really what differentiates, distinguishes uh, someone who is saved versus someone, someone who is born again versus someone who is you know, maybe coming to terms with that or maybe far away from that. Mm. You know, there's a clear rejection or tension of acceptance and rejection. And I guess that's what we're trying to um, have conversation about. Right. To help people kind of not not mitigate the complexity of it, but let's bring it on because we need to talk about this. Right. And... It's like what Sam said in the message. You know, a church without the cross is not just in danger, but is actually a dangerous church. Mm -hmm. Because you can really cultivate a great positive environment of people wanting to do good in the world and realize that there's no... The foundation is the goodness of man. And it's it's a complete humanitarian work, yeah. hum, humanistic effort. And it is not based on the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. Right. Uh, I think I just because I think you made a very important claim that, you know, it's really comes down to 
an acceptance or rejection of the implications of the cross, like what the cross means. And um, I, I guess to just put it out there and make it obvious for people, would you mind sharing, like, what do you, like, what does the cross mean? Or what, what does, what was the cross? Like, why did Jesus have to die on this cross? Right? Because that's, that was the way in which Christ saved us from our sins. Right? Yeah, well, I think Sam did a good job of that. He did, yeah. I, yeah, just, he did. I just wanted to get, you know, your take too. Well, my take is the gospel take because everyone, no one, no one is without sin. Yeah. We've all short, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We need a savior. Mm-hmm. And so Christ, you know, Josh asked me, you know, my seven-year-old, right? He asked me, like, why does God have to die? Like, why did it have to? But it had to be that way, right? Because no one else could die in place yeah. of another, even if you. It was the greatest intention because no one's without sin. Yeah. Only Christ is without sin. Mm. So He was the perfect sacrifice. Right. Um. I mean, I think Sam. I mean, the people are hearing the teaching of numbers versus how. Um, and to na- to the gospel that was presented to Nicodemus, right? right? And how God presented his son to the world, his love of and redemption to the world. I guess I I would like to focus more on what does that really look like? Yeah. And I guess like I've shared this before, but I could start with my story. Mm-hmm. Which is, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't born as a pastor's kid, but I grew up as one. So I saw my parents giving everything they had from their sec- um, you know, secular job. Like they had prominent jobs outside of the ministry, but once they felt the call, they literally gave everything to it. So uh, me seeing my parents, and I'm, you know, I'm not like, I am a sinner, but I want to do good Mm -hmm. right so but that's the thing i want to say that because because we want to do good does that make us without sin i think a lot of people think that too sometimes like well i think i'm a little bit better Uh i think i've even heard someone say um when they were confronted with the gospel and sin yeah and i think um someone had said well you know, I do good things when no one's watching. Like I, and you know, it sounds silly, but I flush the toilet for people in public bathrooms and no one knows that I do that. So I, how could I be, you know, it's not that the person, and I think I say that because we all have things like, no, I'm not that bad. Like, why do I have to admit that I'm bad? Right. Like, why are you judging me? We feel that way. Um, but yeah, I wanted to do good, but does that mean I'm without sin? No, I think we want to do, do we want to do good for all sorts of reasons, but it doesn't make us without sin. Right. I mean, but anyway, I guess I'm drawing nuances because yeah. it's very it's a very nuanced topic, Definitely. right? Even though it's very definite what it is. Yeah. So trying to um, get all the layers in, but yeah, I wanted to help my parents in the ministry, so that's what I did. I taught Sunday school. Mm. I volunteered in any way I could from doing the dishes in the church to cleaning up the garbage to um, 
picking up the chairs to volunteering my Saturdays to teach youth, you know, mm. um, and using my musical abilities to help the choir or to keep the services going. Right. But you know what? Honestly, I did all those things. And I could even say I did it more than any other teen that I knew at the time. I mean, there are amazing followers of Christ doing this like all over the world. Right. You know, panting churches like. But yeah, I was I was doing all these things. And I came to a place, I remember, and I even went to Bible college, right? Mm, yeah. And even though I would never say, you know what? I am really so good. Like, I'm really doing the right thing. Mm. Because I believed that the cause of Christ was the right thing. But I, even then, I had not come to terms with the fact that I am also that sinner. Mm. And so for me, I had to come to a place where I had, to accept in, in Bible college um, and admit, you know what, in the same way that all those, you know, rebelling youth of, you know, and my friends and all sorts of people that have done all sorts of explicit things, I am a sinner because mm -hmm. of my pride saying that I am better right. or that I am different. Right. Give me a different way to come to Christ because this is embarrassing. Mm, like, yeah. why should I enter through the same? Right. And so it's, it's bizarre if you think about it, but that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. And it's when I was able to come to terms with that and swallow my pride, or you know what, forget even swallow my pride, I had to lay down my pride. Right. When I was able to do that, when is when I really felt the mercy of God. Mm. And it wasn't like, fine, God, I lay this down and, you know, I'll admit it. It wasn't like that. But when I laid it down and admitted, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me for all my, forget my blatant arrogance of mm -hmm. who I think I am. Who do, you know? Yeah. I felt the mercy of God and I felt the forgiveness of God. I experienced him then. And that's in in Bible college, I was actually born again. Um, so, yeah, it's we could be doing all sorts of great things. Mm. We could look a certain way and we could say, I'm not doing that as m that bad thing as much as I used to. I'm doing better. See, I'm living for others. But at the core, Why? Yeah. Why are you doing all those things or less of those things? Mm -hmm. I think the why is really important. And for me, the why was when um, I when I came to terms with it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's when I was born again. Right. That's a great story because I think it captures just the, the general. Because I resonate a lot with a certain sentiment what came to my mind is that you know a lot of the times we think we're why well, you know we're exceptions to the rule because of like whether we, th we believe that we're good or we do good things and you know it's it's often hard to really distinguish what what our true nature really is that we are sinful by nature and if that rule is what was is is what like really defines who we are it's for us to think that you know we are different from that or that there's a different 
way in which we can be saved or like we have a different relationship with christ or the cross um just kind of like violates that principle that we are sinful by nature you know and i think um there are certainly times i thought i was like i could kind of skirt around the issue and like beat around the bush of like you know accepting christ as my savior because i in like i wanted to do my own thing also but also have like jesus in the periphery as in like you know a part of my life but not really the point of my life mm-hmm. um and i think it, it wasn't it like the cross didn't click for the majority of my life until it was a real firm understanding of oh i hurt people with my actions i am selfish by nature and i i do even though i intend to do good you know like the things that i intend don't aren't always for the good or um you know i know that i fall through all my promises time and time again right like it it's like the and like the the point of the cross and i think what you were making is that christ came to give us life and life to the full and it's through this initial step of like acknowledging we need to be saved from that and choosing christ and the cross is you know where all that even begins to happen right yeah because i think you know it's an it's easy to misinterpret interpret what does fullness mean yeah you know it we could easily say well i didn't have such a great upbringing so when christ gives me life to the full he's going to give me a great family yeah. Or it could look like I didn't grow up with much. So in fullness could mean prosperity. But the gospel is not what we make it out to be. The gospel is good news because before there was good news, it was all bad news. Right. And it's only good news, right, when things are bleak and you need a way out. Mm-hmm. right and that way out was christ mm-hmm. was christ and is christ so when jesus is talking about fullness it is not like have it your way whatever you need mm-hmm. god will fulfill he will answer your prayer it's not that yeah it's about being saved from the very um the very nature that is killing us yeah. that you know like that we're deceived by even yeah. because you know we could be doing s- so many great things maybe not as bad as others mm-hmm. like there's so many layers to that but in the end you know i was doing great great good all the stuff to come to a place where I said I did it for the lord i did it for god because it's the greatest cause but I, true colors show, you know, when you're confronted. Um, Maybe not to all, Mm -hmm. but I think that when we're truly confronted with it, um, we may be able to lie to others and even to ourselves. But when we're, and being confronted is so gracious because when we are confronted with it, we're able to see that we're lying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because what I thought I was doing for others for the world you know i was doing for myself because it was the one thing i could not give up to enter Mm -hmm. through (laughs) you know the redemption of christ like to admit that jesus i need you too Mm -hmm. um so sometimes we don't even know the things that are 
forget blinding, but really are the barriers to coming to the cross.、Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Is it safe to say that you know, it's not the cross is not about being saved from something around us, but it's is really being saved from ourselves, like every day. To say we're saved from ourselves, to me that almost could sound like, like I guess in the way that the question is phrased,、mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to you know break down your question,、yeah. but it, when I hear that, it it could almost sound like we're being saved from ourselves of what we know,、mm-hmm. but the way God's salvation works is we're being saved from the things that we have no idea about. Oh. Or aware of,、hmm. you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I I think I'm just to John. Like, we're not even aware of the depth of our sin. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, because you know, it's not like a one-time event where you're confronted. You're like, oh, I didn't know that, but okay, fine. Like,、mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I am a sinner. It's not like that, but it's. The conviction of God, through the grace of God, the way that we're confronted is not one action. Yeah. And it's not that one action that we admit to or that we reject that defines us as sinners. It's who we are, It, like what our motivation is apart from Christ. Wow. So, we are unaware of any of that.、Mm. I mean, I think we speak of this a lot, but John Wesley said that. God only shows us three percent of our sin, or if we were to find out all of it when we first find Him, find Christ, we would probably die.、Hmm. Um, I think that carries a lot of truth because、yeah. it's not because we're confronted. Oh, you're selfish. Fine, I admit it. I'm selfish. Yeah, I know what I do. That、yeah. I'm selfish. Really, but I mean, not to like be so.、Um, Like I don't want it to come off like oh, I I you know like oh man like it gets worse,、yeah. but it kind of does you know. For sure. You know the depth of our sin is pretty deep. Yeah. So we're being saved not from what we admit,、mm. or it would be about us admitting, right? Or owning, but we're being saved from things we're not even able to admit about. Right. Things were we might not even be aware of. Yeah. Today,、right. tomorrow, you know, because that's the whole thing. We hurt people knowingly and unknowingly, right?、Mm-hmm. And just even simply speaking, we don't even know how we hurt other people. That's true. And we could say, "Well, I don't mean to do that," but well, you did. Yeah. So how do we? Quantify that. There's no way to quantify it. Yeah. But I think the truth is, and the, I guess,、um, how do you say it?、Um, the amazing thing about it, why God's love is so amazing for me, is that He knows it all.、Mm-hmm. Like even the things we can't even fathom to admit today, because it's just like a lot. He knows it all. Yeah. He knows our intentions so well. He doesn't judge us, but he convicts us,、mm-hmm. so that we come to realize that you know what? I can't live this.、Um, I can't do good on my own. Yeah. 
that I need a savior. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad we're we are sitting here splitting the hairs of this thing because like <sighs> it this is such a complex but also like a very straightforward thing i think it's paradoxical in that way where it's like the ways in which sin is presented to us or like our nature is presented to us is very complex but it's it's very straightforward in that you know it's it's, it's just a reality and like whether we're aware of that reality it's 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 really the matter of fact that like we because even the way I guess I was presenting the question, it's like it's almost like behavior modification, and we can get trapped in that. Like, oh, I repented, or like I confessed that I sinned, and you know, it doesn't like doing the acts or like doing the things that you know repentance calls for, acknowledging sin calls for. It's not necessarily really grasping the full depth of like our reality as sinful by nature, right? Like, because I think. That's also w- one of the ways in which that I, I got trapped because like I think there was many times I was like, oh, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm mm-hmm. a sinner. And like those those are like verbalized ways in which I acknowledge sin. But it it was just kind of part of what it meant to be a Christian as opposed to being transformed by Christ, I think. And it, it, that's like one of the distinctions I think I drew when it came to me feeling like, like I was really saved. It's the the attitude of knowing that you're a sinner is very different from you know just the act of saying i sinned or i am a sinner because i think you can know what the things revolving sin are like you know you know lying stealing cheating um like all those all those like kind of rules are like these are the do not do do not do these things category but the why in which we don't do these things or the why in which Christ needed to save us or the why in which we repent when it comes to the cross or why we worship Christ because he's so good is, is a very, very strong distinction that we make when it comes to like a personal transformation with Christ. Yeah, I mean, explicit sin like stealing, murder. Um, Adultery. Yeah, yeah, those are pretty... I mean, it's it's explicit, and it's very black and white. Well, you could make anything gray these days, it seems. You know, sin is so elusive. That's true. Not that it changes what it is, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. sin is so elusive, but explicit things are easy to admit, point out, but it's the implicit sin in us that um it's the judgment against the person who sinned Mm -hmm. it's um the coveting that no one knows about um because you feel you deserve more or you feel that someone does not deserve that right you know it's the internal battles within um the things that no one sees and when it is seen in relationship and brought to us, it's the thing. It's it's the things that offends us the most. It's like, how dare you? This is, don't you know? Like, what kind of person I am? Don't you know? Like, you know, it's the it's the internal part of us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because sin is so elusive, and I guess that's why we're having this conversation, right, around it, because because it is so elusive and 
what Christ has done is powerful but pretty clear. It's the fact that recognizing and acknowledging that is really the hard part. And because it's so elusive, there's so many rationalism and excuses around it. And so we're literally spitting out the nuances of how it blinds us Mm -hmm. and deceives us and how we deceive ourselves. Right. I think I have one thing in mind, like, how how do you know you need to be saved, right? Because I think that's also one of the things that, you know, I I think I encounter when it comes to, like, speaking about the gospel with people or, like, engaging about Christ and, you know, presenting, you know, like, like you know, Jesus to people. It's like, it it's not so obvious that I think people acknowledge that they need to be saved. Like, I think a lot of it comes to, like, this very humanistic effort of changing ourselves, right? Like, oh, I need to work on myself or like, yeah, I know that I need to get better in this. And so like, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be better. But, you know, Dr. Sammy made a really bold claim, I think towards the end of his sermon, which really, really struck me is like, it doesn't matter what kind of philosophy we accrued or wisdoms we've accrued. It's, there's no personal transformation apart from Christ. And that's a really strong statement, I think, because like I think a lot of people are bent on self-improvement, right? Like I'm going to become a better person. New Year's resolutions are all about becoming a better person, and there's a, a, a myriad of a, of self-help books that you know are geared towards helping us become quote unquote better. But there's there's more to it when it comes to acknowledging that you need to be like in intrinsically and inherently saved right and so you know i I guess like the the scenario i'm trying to capture is like how like what like what does it take for someone to acknowledge that they need to be saved right because i think it's so easy to think that it's just something i need to tweak or adjust you know yeah um well to see it Mm. right what does it take to see it Mm. Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. What does it take? I mean, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're talking from the angle of um, a lot of people not growing up in the church, mm. not knowing about um, what what who Christ is, yeah. right? You're talking about people who are coming in um, atheists to mm-hmm. agnosticism, right? Yeah. Um, people who are seeking. Right. Yeah. But I think that's the whole journey of mission is that um, people come to realize that. I mean, but like it's w- doesn't matter where you come from, or and I think you said it in um, pinpointing what Sam said, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what philosophy. At the end of the day, we all come to the same place where you see it or you don't see it. Mm. You admit it or you don't admit it. Right. Right. Um, and I. Right. It doesn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's when you are confronted with the cross is, like, whether you're convicted of your sin or, you know, or the, that's, those are ways in which the Holy Spirit convicts us of... Yeah, the Holy yeah. Spirit is at work revealing himself to people. Um, and as people are seeking, they come, yeah, as, you know, I mean, I think that's why no one is saved in a vacuum. 
Because there has to be a knowledge piece of who Christ is. What is he about? Um, knowledge is important. Yeah. Um, it's not like all of a sudden someone realizes, oh, I am very, I am with fault and I need a savior. Mm-hmm. God save me. No, that's why mission exists. Right. Because no one just comes to know God. Mm-hmm. No one comes to knowledge of Christ. And that's why Paul talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because you have to actually bring it before mm-hmm. someone could respond to it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, that's the work of the Spirit in mission, um, in evangelism. Um, the process in which people come to know who Christ is. The process in which people come to know who Christ is and come to accept, and after having learned who He is, deny or accept. Mm-hmm. I think you know there's a reason. There's a time for everything, right? Because yeah. no one comes to Christ or no one gets saved, um, comes to realization that they need a savior mm-hmm. or that there is a savior in a vacuum. Um, the whole process of leading people closer to christ is so necessary mm-hmm. right? and that's why we reach out right that's why we invite people to hear the gospel mm. that's why um last week we talked about that why mm. people no longer hearing the gospel is such um a regression and why we fight so that it continues to progress so that people continue to hear mm-hmm. the good news um you know a good example i guess if um is i remember when nason had understood he came to a place as you know as a child that he is a sinner he realized he realized this and he wanted to come to christ Mm. and so he repented and he came to christ and then we had josh like a few years later right and I could tell because Nathan is very aware, like, we need we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is my Savior. And he, because we led him to Christ, he wanted to lead Josh to Christ. And I remember we were driving to dinner, I think, and they were in the back seat. And Josh is in his, like, you know, car seat, mm-hmm. right? And Josh is, like, two or three. Nathan was probably really annoyed. Like, oh my gosh, Josh is such a sinner. Like, he's such an annoying brother. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to tell him that Jesus died for his sins. You know, it was kind of like that. And I remember we could see Nathan's approaching it, Uh that place. And I remember Sam and I were like, Nathan, 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 not yet. He's not ready. He's not ready. And so, yeah, no one comes to Christ through a vacuum. The question, how do people come to that place where they know they have to be saved? It's through a process, and that process is led by God. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a race to get to that place, but it's, and that's why a few weeks back, the Mm -hmm. very first message about being born again was about that, about paying attention to what God is doing around us Mm -hmm. because He's wanting for people to be born again, Mm -hmm. to find Him. So it's about paying attention to the process Mm -hmm. because it's a process and a work that God is doing. Right. So, but ultimately, whether it's a seeker who has come closer to realize who Jesus is and who they are um, apart from Jesus, or someone who's been in the church coming to a place where, wow, I was not outside 
of this church thing. I've been inside all my life, but they could both be at a place where they have to come to that realization. I guess that's, you know, kind of like the other nuance that we're trying to paint. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine, right, like when someone is presented and confronted with this reality that that maybe they haven't really been saved. Um, Do you have any thoughts about like, like what that conversation would look like or you know if because i'm sure that relates a lot to the story you shared it's like that realization of oh wow maybe maybe i don't really know what the cross means for me right Mm -hmm. do do you have any like um thoughts about that any insight well i think that um there needs to be a culture where we could talk about that yeah where it's not shameful if someone doesn't get it, mm-hmm. right? Whether in the church, especially in the church. Right. So there has to be a, a culture where we talk about Jesus and it's not like, oh, you don't know that? Right. Or where people are able to, whether they've been in the church or have heard about Christ outside, can in a really safe environment explore like what? do i know like am i really born again Mm -hmm. even being able to ask that question i think um should be a safe place to be able to do that yeah right um but so having said that they're approaching you know i'll tell you this like this is just one part of i guess the layer of you know, because Sam covered the misfortune that sometimes people are saved um, by a, from a misfortune and it's not necessarily knowing Christ as Savior, right? Yeah. I think, so I'll just kind of cover, you know, when, um, yeah, so like I came to Christ in Bible college, right? And... For a while, I know this sounds kind of like naughty in some ways, but like for a while, that was like my thing. Because, you know, in Bible college, no people don't always talk about who Christ is. It's about finding out who Christ is about, getting closer to Christ. There's all sorts of like, you know, uh, spiritual language of intimacy with god and all sorts of things to about god and the subculture and you know i'm not saying it's not a real thing but there's a subculture of christianity but when i when i became born again i was in that fresh mind of like mission where i was like oh my gosh like if i didn't know what if there are people here that don't know you know and so for me you know, not that my motive was naughty, but I like if I think about it, like I could see that it could be a little bit like of a ruckus thing. But I started asking people, how did you come to Christ? Mm. And, you know, there were several that didn't know, you know, I, oh. you, they could answer the question why they came to Bible college. Yeah. In the same way, people could ask someone, why did you come to church? And they could say, well, my friend brought me. Or, you know, I felt led by God here. But when you ask people the question, how did you come to Christ, whether in a church or, 
you know, even at Bible college, some people had a hard time answering it. Oh. And so I would share my story. Yeah. And as a result, as a result, there were there were several that came to be born again, you know. Yeah. In Bible college. Right. That must have been really eye opening. Yeah, it was really eye opening. I shared my testimony also at certain you know fellowships. Uh huh. Um. Because I think there was a fire in me. I felt like I am not ashamed of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to talk about it because it's something I didn't know myself. And God showed me that I needed him and that I was far from him. Um, and I had to share it with people. Yeah. I mean, there were several different kinds of responses because, you know, there is, you know... Yeah, it's, yeah, but so how can we have that conversation? I guess sensitively and gently ask people, especially, you know, if you're not, if you're curious about how they met the Lord, like it shouldn't be a taboo question though, you know, I think when it is a taboo question, then you kind of wonder, wonder, why can't I ask (laughs) this you know, quote unquote Christian, how they came to Christ. Right. What it may, it might offend them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. That sounds silly, but it does happen. But I think we just ask. Mm. Does that answer your question? That does. Yeah. Because I mean, again, if I, if I can only imagine me in your shoes, and I, I think like you know, I grew up in the church also. Um, I, I'm, I was, I don't think I really. And this is kind of like, I did the Christian stuff, like the, I identified with Christianity, but I didn't identify myself with Christ, if that makes any sense, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I couldn't, I could see how like that would just kind of like rock my world a little bit to be like, oh, I've been doing all the, all the things, you know, like I led worship, I like, uh, me personally, but I, I like led worship, at, like when I was in middle school, like I did like the Bible studies and stuff like that, but, and like to say that. I wasn't personally saved yet, uh-huh. right? And, you know, it, it was when I came to this church that, you know, that question was even brought up. Like, how did you come to Christ? Or did you come to Christ? And that was when I was like, I don't even really know what that means, you know? Mm. And I was in high school at the time, but I, I remember being like, um, I don't know, like my parents went to church and I went to church and then I just been going to church because that's where my friends are. Mm-hmm. Like that was my answer for that, and mm-hmm. then that when the when the gospel was presented to me, it's like, do you know that you're a sinner? I'm like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Like I repent, quote unquote, because you know I think it's easy to kind of adopt yourself to the language, especially if you've been part of a culture for a long time. And then you know, it's it's like I guess like this was such a like a shell shock for me at the time i was just like oh i'm not i wasn't a christian you know mm-hmm. and that must be kind of like disconcerting for some people right if they're like if if they had happened to hear this or if they're listening to this right now it's like i and they're questioning like the the real like they're like you know like the second point is like you, you have to be introspective about like whether you're really saved or not and maybe they're at the this place right now it's like where do you go from there? Because I, I was kind of like, and it's thanks to the great guidance I've had and like the people around me that really helped introduce Christ to me and, you know, led me 
in the, in the right directions like i think i'm you know at the place i am now like a little bit more like i don't know it's the, like more christian I don't, I don't know like more of a christ follower um but like i guess what are the the next steps like what did like because i'm sure for you it was like like where do you go from here right like where do you go from the repentance or actually like what like how do you repent like where do you start to repent well you can't repent until you really realize that you have to repent of it hmm. was, that, <laughs> was, that, was that was that that obvious <laughs> I mean, I, I think we complicate things, but at the end of the day, how could you repent for something you're not really sorry about? People repent, quote-unquote, repent and say sorry for many things, but doesn't mean that it's true repentance. Mm. What is true repentance? <laughs> I think true repentance is really owning up and saying not where I come from, this made me do this, or what I didn't have made me do this, mm -hmm. or there's no victimization of why I might have come to this this thing that I did to hurt you mm -hmm. or hurt others or hurt myself. But because at the core, I am a sinner. Mm -hmm. Like I have sin and this is sin causes me to do this, you know, and owning that you know, mm -hmm. is really the only place where repentance begins because when you realize that you are at fault, mm -hmm. you know, it's like so simple, like that you're at fault, mm -hmm. like then you can go anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's where you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do know what you mean. I guess I was just kind of asking because it seems, and maybe it's not as complicated as I'm making it out to be, but I wonder, you know, how do you know you're really sorry? Because there's so many times I've been caught, right? Like, whether it's like hiding stuff from my mom or like, I remember when I was younger, uh, I would play too many like games on my computer and then my mom hid my like computer mouse, but then I would have like a backup computer mouse. And then like when she would come to my door, I would hide the mouse and she'd be like, are you playing games? I'd be like, no, you know. But then when I got caught, I was like, sorry, I won't do it again. And then the same thing, it's just like a repeated pattern. Like it just kept happening and happening. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever really learned my lesson, you know. And um, and I guess that's just kind of the thing. It's like, you know, if, if, it's, if our growth and like our relationship with Christ is indicated by fruit, then, you know, using that analogy, I maybe I would have learned my lesson and have not hid that mouse or like i have not hid the truth from my mom and stuff like that but you know i i don't know if i was ever really sorry right and you know and you know i think this it, it is and i think what i'm trying to ask right is like how can we really assess that we're sorry or like that we need to repent or that we're in repentance. Because um, there's so many times I've questioned myself, like if my motives of like, am I really sorry that I am this way or that I've done these things? Or are these like tears of, like are these crocodile tears? Or am I like truly sorry for the sins that I've committed? Or even if I confess, am I really 
am I really being transformed or am I really, you know, experiencing change? Because, you know, it could feel good to like admit that you need help and like that you need salvation. But it, when we come back to the same repeated patterns, um, you know, and if that's like if we're judging by the fruit and like is that's the metric for salvation, like how how do we know like it's real? How do you know if it's real? Uh-huh. I think you know in time. Mm. I think only time tells. Because in the moment, it could look the same. Like, yeah. you can't look at someone with more tears or less tears and say you're more sorry than the other. Mm-hmm. But time will tell. Right. Like, it'll reveal itself in time? Yeah. It always does. Mm. But, again, it's not about... Um, how sorry are you? Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, it's not about how many tears did you cry when you realized you were a sinner. Mm-hmm. It's about coming to the cross, mm-hmm. even at a glance. Like, you know, I think that's the other thing. Yeah, there's an aspect like we won't know how much. Like, you know, that song, like, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. Yeah. There is that aspect, and that's true. But also, it's not required for us to know so much about why we are sinners. Sometimes it, it's as simple as realizing, should I, I, need, I need Jesus, yeah. you know? And realizing that we're, we need His forgiveness, that we need, we're at His mercy. Yeah. Um, it's not the quantitative knowledge of sin. Mm-hmm. that saves us it's realizing like jesus i need you not for this but like it's the fact that i sin it's the fact that apart from you i cannot restore myself mm-hmm. apart from you i cannot um change yeah there's like no other way around it yeah it is the heart of the gospel this the sin and cross and sin in the cross yeah it's just coming to terms with it mm-hmm. like i can't change apart from him i can't have a relationship with it, with god apart from what christ has provided right. who christ has pro- provided which is christ because christ has done the work yeah it's really coming to terms with it right you know like we can't i mean bible makes it clear like no one really knows the motives of man Right. Only God does. Yeah. But time does tell. And it's not our job to say, well, look at that person. They're not really changing. Well, you know, how are we ever going to measure perfection, right? Yeah. But, um, but God knows. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and fruit truly tells itself over time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's an external... Um, provision of you know of knowing but mm-hmm. it's when we come to terms with it alright let's see I guess it's important to draw those distinctions because we can fool ourselves into thinking that we know sin right I mean I know that I'm born again right 
So it's not that we come to a place where like, oh, was I really sorry or not? Yeah. I'm saved by what I'm born again because I was dead and now I'm alive because of what Christ has done. I mm-hmm. fully acknowledge that. Right. And you know, I love what Sam sa- said about I say that like explicitly, like I am born again because it's not a fight of am I? Am I not? Am I sorry or am I not sorry? Mm-hmm. I should really weigh that out. No, it's really about okay, when you realize that you are a sinner, did you come to the cross? Did you find your savior? Mm-hmm. Um the one and only Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Did you find him? Did you surrender your life to him? Yeah. Did you come to the cross? Like, right. it's a real walk, yeah. you know, to the cross to come to terms with that. Yeah. So, you know, I know you said something about like, uh, you know, I'm a more or more Christian or more Christ follower. That's the walk through aftermath after coming to the cross. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. yeah, we will return to the cross because that is the foundation of our mm-hmm. faith. But we're talking about like the very foundational, basic, um, the simplicity, but the complexity and the depths of the cross. Right. Right. Yeah. So the cross quenches any quite or doubts about whether you're a sinner and whether you need a savior. Right. Like those are kind of like the criteria by which you can know that you've been saved. Like it's the acknowledgement that you need a savior, the acknowledgement that you're a sinner. Okay, so we're there now. So what Sam said is, fruit will show in his message, right? I mean, this is Bible, right? Mm -hmm. But he preached. Fruit will show and that belief is not the highest form of value, but behavior is. Mm -hmm. Um, And James says something very... Um, similar he says you believe that there is one god good even the demons believe that and shudder so believing you know because i think for you know many believe that because well i believe that jesus is the son of god yeah um i believe that i believe that yeah Mm -hmm. i don't deny that i believe that um but even that is, if just words, right? Yeah. Um, true work of God shows itself. Yeah. And Sam said, you know, behavior. And we're not talking about behavior modification because we know that behavior modification. I just say that. It's yeah. like, I know that um, it's like an obvious thing, but yeah. I like, I'm sometimes like the queen of obvious, okay? I like to <laughs> spell out obvious because I think sometimes we could miss the nuance of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's not about behavior modification. It's not when you fix yourself because you believe. Mm-hmm. But behavior meaning actions and how one lives out or begins to live out their life shows mm-hmm. what you really believe. So belief doesn't mean much mm-hmm. apart from doing. Yeah. So, yeah, having s- said that, it is about what Christ has done um, on the cross. It is about his work, um, not something we could earn by right. merit. Having said that, and it is clear, but yeah, believing that is, if we're talking about like, are we are we sorry? Are we not sorry? Mm-hmm. 
Are you, do you want to be born again? Born, being born again, I think, really means that God enters, you know, and yeah. that life literally changed. I mean, because God enters. Yeah. So. I guess just like one other kind of thing that, I, well, just like some, one thing that I want to bring up, because I think for me, it's not always so obvious, like the motive behind wanting to change, right? Because I think. Uh, in my experience with sin and just um, the trajectory of my life, there's a lot of times I wanted to change, right? Like, there's a lot of times I was like, man, I, I really want to change this part of my life. I really want to, you know, because, you know, I want to love Christ well and, like, follow Christ. But it, it seems like I fall, t sh like, short of that, right? Like, I find myself in the same behavioral patterns of sin. Um, and I can, you know, regret that I've sinned or, like, or that I'm you know, sorry after I've committed the act, but it's the, the desire to want to stop sinning doesn't always like look like I've changed, you know? Um, is there something to that? I mean, I guess I'm just asking because like for me, it's not so obvious and I doubt myself quite a bit when it comes to not whether I've been saved by Christ or by like by the extension of my actions Am I really reflecting the the real grace and the real, you know, life-changing salvation that, you know, I have in Christ? Like, Because my actions don't always line up with my desire to want to change, right? Um, and it seems like I keep, I keep losing the fight at times, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I guess it's just like, and, and that brings in a wave of doubt. Like, am I really a Christian? Am I really trying to give everything i have to love christ and follow christ like I'm, I'm really struggling with this like is that is there any indication of that like there that there is like something still that the holy spirit is doing or you know or like is there you know <laughs> is there is there something like we're revolving that arena and i, I know it's just like such it's it's kind of like a minor caveat of what we've been talking about because it's like for you, it's very obvious that you were born again, and like you could say that. But and I want to say I was born again, but sometimes it seems like because I sin, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm a little bit unsure about my salvation or whether I'm born again. And you know, that could lead me to introspect. But you know, as much introspection I do, you know, if I keep doing the same thing over and over again, am I really saved? Right. Hmm. So you know, being born again mentions like a baby right yeah. so when we first are born again we are like babies mm -hmm. like helpless like we have to be fed we have to be nourished we have to be protected mm -hmm. because there's we're very fragile right and you know sam did a whole series on this but like there's also puberty right yeah you hit puberty and if you meet people who've gone through puberty myself as well <laughs> yourself like Anybody you know all of 17 <laughs> yeah um puberty does not look very nice either oh, yeah. it's nasty you know so i'm talking about the attitude right like mm. it's very nasty because there's a lot to figure out at that time so it's a growth process and mm -hmm. that's what leads to spiritual maturity yeah we're not, you know, Paul says that we are saints because of what Christ has done. Mm. But in terms of 
how we understand saint, we're not really saints, you know, in terms of um, having it all together. So are we exempt from sin? Are we exempt from failure? Are we exempt from um, disillusionment and discouragement? Um, because we've come to Christ. Is it like a magic pill? No, no it's yeah. not. It's working those things out, knowing that we need a savior. Right. And so, you know, I think I recently heard also about C.S. Lewis, like, you know, after his wife, Joy, died, she was like 45. And I think mm. they were married. They knew each other for seven years and then they got married for three. And they had like such a great marriage, such a great friendship and marriage together. And when she died, I heard that um, he wrote a book really quickly, Mm. I think, on grief. And people really started to wonder when it was published, like, uh, did he lose his faith? Because it seemed so bleak. And, you know, um, C.S. Lewis scholars will say, um, well, they have said, they said, well, maybe if he wrote that and published it a little bit later, he, he wouldn't have been defined by those doubts, right. but yeah. So, and he, he was a firm believer and we knew that, but in that period of time that the grief was recorded, it almost seemed like, oh man, C.S. like C.S. Lewis, <laughs> yeah. like, where are you? Do you know where you are? Yeah. So, yeah, there's processes that we will go through where, you know, it's not a black and white clarity. It's not like a Full House episode where yeah. everything gets really, yeah, yeah, like group hug and everything ends in a day. Yeah, It's a process mm. of maturing. So, I mean, you know, I think I really, you know, I think I've matured in different stages of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and learned of God's grace and his love for me, understood it in a deeper way in different stages. Mm-hmm. There's things I couldn't have understood as a child. There's, there are things that I couldn't have understood and, um, forget as a child, like even, um, as a college, you know, student who had finally come to Christ, like to realize his grace. Yeah. I, you know, when I first, came to Christ and accepted Christ as my savior, I felt my eyes open to God's grace and to my sin. And I thought, wow, like I never saw that. Like I understood when Paul says that his scales came off his eyes. Like I felt that because I couldn't see what I couldn't see. I I couldn't, I saw what I couldn't see before. Mm -hmm. And, but in hindsight, was that the highlight I mean, it was such a beautiful beginning of Christ meeting me where mm. I was at and um, accepting me um, in his forgiveness and his grace. Um, but it wasn't, honestly, my understanding of his grace in different stages following that um, has been even more powerful because as I failed as a parent, you know, as I failed as a person, in relationship, mm-hmm. you know, when I fell short is when I saw his grace. So there is definitely an aspect of maturity. Um, you can mature emotionally and not mature spiritually. Right. But I'm really talking about like there's a maturity in Christ that comes through recognizing who Christ is 
through the stages of life and through um through the years you know so in his truth it's not just existential but he reveals himself he has given us the word you know so also like apart from knowledge of his word or knowledge of who he is there's so many ways to grow Mm -hmm. because how could we really know apart from you know revelation is not the only gift we have where you have epiphanies about god Mm -hmm. or in hindsight you realize about god but god has uh, revealed himself through narratives um, inspired by spirit, right? You know, compiled in stories and stories and letters mm-hmm. um, in in the Bible, right? So, also when we look to those things, I think it's almost like when a teenager realizes, like, um, wow, my parents really did love me. Yeah. They weren't just like, you know, present, but they actually cared more than the food they put on the table yeah providing yeah yeah there there are things that are revealed already that are shared with us you know that are available so yeah i think it's a process of all of those things Mm -hmm. not just how am i doing i don't know i'm not doing so well so maybe i don't know christ it's not really that linear yeah it's really an engagement with god recognizing how he falls short each day and why we needed a savior in the first place and why he is truly salvation and realizing that in our relationship with others, how we fall short and how we hurt each other and ourselves and returning to the cross. You know, it's a constant, um, it's a real cycle of grace, Mm, not no longer a cycle of grief. Right. And I think, you know, we could fall, you know, especially in the earlier years of being so fragile and not really understanding God's heart, yeah. um, not having knowledge of who he is, why he sent his son. You know, it says that it was out of love, right? For God so loved the world. And sometimes it could be like, oh, he loved the world, but maybe now he doesn't want me anymore. But it doesn't work that way. God knew it all. He knew Mm -hmm. when we denied it. He knew it when we realized it. He knows way more than we'll ever realize about ourselves, but he accepts us as we are because he, he knows us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it could seem, it could be fragile in the beginning where you question, like, was it legitimate? I think I did also Mm -hmm. because I spent most of my life, you know, thinking I had it all together. Mm -hmm. And then come to Bible college of all places, it was kind of a shocker. Yeah. Almost even traumatizing. Like, right. oh my gosh, I could have missed the most important piece. Right. Even though I realized it. Mm. It was very confusing, but also it could be traumatizing. Yeah. Like, oh shoot. Like, how did I not know this? Yeah. Why didn't anyone tell me this? Um, right. you know, there's there could be disillusionment and you could wonder, like, is what I experienced really true? Mm-hmm. And you know. And that's why we need the word, right? And that's why we need a community to remind us when truth seems very faint Mm -hmm. in our experience. That's why we need the written word to remind us that God is working in us, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But also we talked about in the last podcast, in the last message, that the enemy plays a huge role in condemning us to make us feel as though it is not, you know, it's not that we deserve it. Like, you know, I think in the, you know, we easily say to people, oh, you don't deserve that. And there is that aspect because Mm -hmm. we're made 
um, with dignity that abuse or misfortune is not what we deserve per se. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and safety is, um, you know, the goal. But uh, when the enemy condemns, he's con the enemy condemns with a purpose hmm. to kill, steal, and destroy our confidence in God yeah. so, that, so that we will forget who we are. Right. We will forget that he knows us by name. He, we will forget that it is by grace we have been saved so that we forget that while we were still sinners that he died for us died for the ungodly right so i mean the role that enemy plays is forgetfulness and disillusionment many times so with our own struggles and our own, own fragile state and the enemy whispering and pounding through pain and lies it could get pretty rocky so there yeah. is that and you know we covered that last week briefly um can't cover it in one podcast warfare is so tricky but yeah, so in those moments, taking authority yeah. that we have been given, mm -hmm. right? that we have been seated mm -hmm. and we have been raised with Christ, yeah. you know, so it's remembering those things mm -hmm. that are, you know, yeah, that is so important. Right. Let me see. That's, that's good news, I think, because, you know. I think we've covered that God is doing his part. And as much as the enemy is opposing, I think it's really, really awesome to hear that there is also our part in acknowledging our sin and like how we can play a role in, you know, in our own like narratives. Right. Because as much as Jesus has done the work, you know, there is a part of us that has to come face to face with the reality of the cross. Right. And that's like our part, like whether we can accept the the implications of Christ's blood or, you know, whether we walk away from that. And I think um, to know that it's a process, uh, to know that salvation, as nuanced as it is, really comes down to, you know, like a few things really, like sin and who Jesus is. It's, it's just really crystallizes like what this dynamic looks like for us in order for us to really receive life and life to the full. I think it is the hardest part mm. for people to come to terms with it. Yeah. But it is the most worthy cause to be able to admit and come to Christ as a result. All right. So if we could truly be honest about the convictions and not deny it, You know, mm. and I'm speaking for like the many, you know, the many seekers that are seeking. Mm. It's easy to accept, but I think to accept it, acknowledge it personally is hard. And I think that's why it's being addressed, right? That it is hard. Yeah. It doesn't matter how it's, re how it's given. It's hard, mm. but receiving it and you know what? Being confronted of it being convicted of it really synonymous right because yeah. confrontation is really the approach but you may have been confronted by something through your own actions um com com contradicting itself um, yourself and over time coming to a place where oh my gosh i i messed up like i see what people are saying 
the very thing that I wanted to deny, yeah. or it might have the confrontation and the conviction might be in the moment, and you just want to deny and hide, because shame is so at the um, forefront of it, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, there is light when you do ex- to accept it and acknowledge. So. And I and seeing so many seekers from so many different backgrounds come to that place of acknowledging that Christ is Savior mm-hmm. and seeing newborn babies come to Christ, you know, it, it's it's amazing to see people grow. And you know, it's like when people are his, like God's. It's so interesting how, you know, someone who was wondering, is there a God and coming to Christ? Like, it's amazing. Like, wow, you're a real Christian. Like, you know, or even people who have kind of been living like a hollow Christian life Mm -hmm. with do's and don'ts and do more and, you know, I won't do less. Yeah. And coming to terms with the cross and being born again and being filled with the spirit of god and being led by the spirit of god that is a fresh new start and seeing those babies grow is also pretty amazing too yeah it's like wow we're all on the same page we all came to a place where we accepted Mm -hmm. like i cannot change on my own thank god for a savior yeah yeah the evidence is all around right i mean i think Dr. Sammy made a great point is that at the cross, everybody's the same, right? Like we're all face down no matter how we got there or like whatever walk of life, whatever the process looked like. It's like we all come to the same place when it comes to the cross. Yeah. Yes. And Jesus addressed that, right? You know, he said, you have heard that, you know, when you commit adultery, that you have sinned, mm-hmm. but it is even when you look at a woman in the wrong way that you have committed adultery. Yeah. So he really confronted that there's not just explicit things you can wash your hands of, yeah. but that there are implicit things that he has come to save us from. Mm-hmm. So that's really powerful that yeah. God knows all that. Yeah. And he confronts us from within. He's trying to get to the deep roots. Yeah that he truly knows us inside out. Yeah. And it's the confrontation can be offensive, but it's also God saying, I, I know, and I, I love you. Mm-hmm. That's why I sent my son. It's yeah. really a love invitation right. so that we can truly be embraced and loved and forgiven. Mm-hmm. So wherever people might be, um, it's never too late to come to a place where you come to the cross. It's never, um, you're not delayed in your process of coming to know that and know who Christ is. So, yep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And again, I want to refer people back to the ministry time Mm -hmm. because it's always a time of prayer. That's really very, like very pointed and focused to what, the text and the message and what God and his spirit is doing in the midst. So um, we invite you to stay tuned for that as well and join in.
Thank you, Pastor Lydia. Thanks, Joe. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening. The good news. Is that God sent his son. To die. For our faults. The pain we've caused others and the pain other people's caused us. Sin. From the very beginning in the garden. Evil and temptation personified from a snake shows up in Numbers 21. That shows the condition of the human heart. That we're fickle. That we're hot and cold. That we're utilitarian. We use God for our own devices, our own advantages. And when we're not satisfied, we complain that he doesn't know what he's doing. Unless that comes under his submission. That we need leadership every day. We need to be saved from ourselves. That took the Israelites 40 years. That's why they wandered in the desert. And I feel like a lot of us go through periods we're just wandering because we don't know this fact about ourselves. Today, let's rejoice that we're all sinners here. I'm not saying sin more. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go sin more today. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's rejoice that we've all fallen short, that none of us are better than each other. We've been equalized by our own sin. And we're all equal. We we are brought low when we come to the cross. There's no one that's standing when they come to the cross. They're all on their face. Worshiping a Savior that loves us. That purchased for us something we don't deserve by His own blood. Giving us grace. As we close today, a mentor of mine asked Billy Graham a few years ago before his death this year, Billy, what, what would you preach more about if you could preach again? Billy, in his faint voice, 97 years old, said to Leighton Ford, gripping his fist in his bed. I'll preach about the cross. I'll preach about the blood, because that's where the power is. You know, it, it dawns on me with all the philosophy and the wisdom that we have accumulated in 4,000 years in human history. We could draw from Plato and the great philosophers and psychology, yet life change only comes when we come to the cross. 
That's where the power is. So a church that does not identify and confront sin is not just a church in danger, it's a dangerous church. We're not here just to make you great without acknowledging that the cross is what makes us flourish. It's the place we begin and end our journey. So today, if you're a believer, let's come back to the cross and be reminded, man, I'm such a sinner. Even the goodness in me comes from the cross. For those of us us who are seeking and confronting and being with our own sin and fault, finding good news on the cross, forgiveness, healing. But we never graduate from the cross. That's why we have it here. Good job, whoever made it. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this afternoon. For those of us who've believed in a long time, sometimes we forget where we come from. And when people ask us, why you believe in Jesus? Well, we go, well, you know, he becomes ambiguous a little bit. And sometimes I think we've moved away from the cross and forgot. The only time we remember our sin, maybe it might be Good Friday. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, why we worship is because he died, because he saved us from ourselves and is leading us today. So those of you who believe, will you come back to the cross? Will you make it your foundation? Let's make it our beginning and end every day. For those of you who say, well, you know, you don't know, I'm too flawed. Nothing you've done outweighs the brutality and the punishment God's wrath was poured on the cross. Please don't make your sins bigger than Jesus. Your flaws too worse or too far. The cross's power can transform anyone and forgive anything and everyone. Come to the cross today. Be forgiven. Let Jesus come into your life. It'll change everything. Be sorry for the sin that hurts others. Don't be sorry for the consequences. Will you bow your heads for the benediction as we close? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hey, everyone. We just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. 
It's available at 5397-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv. 